After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast along with J.J. Cooper. I'm John Manuel. Thanks so much for joining us. I want to remind you it's book season at Baseball America. The ultimate 2012 Baseball America reference books will be available soon. Get your copies while supplies last. You can choose them on the Prospect Handbook, the 2012 Almanac, our directory, the Draft Almanac, the Super Register. They're all available at BaseballAmerica.com forward slash store. JJ, the almanac is in its death throes. We're finishing that. Not death throes. It's in its. Uh, we're finishing it off. Not we're finishing death it. Death throes. Hey, with a book like that, and what's happened with other books like that, you don't want to say death throes. We're just, continuing to do the almanac. I mean, the 2012 <laughs> almanac is in its death throes. I'm ready for that thing to be done. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we are all ready for that to be out the door. Uh, but yes, yeah, still a viable product, unlike many of its predecessors. Um, but uh, love the almanac. Once it's done, because it is the kind of book that uh, I do. I read my old almanacs. You know, I actually do. If you want to know what happened in baseball in 2011, that's the book to have. And at all levels, and every every drafted player signed. Yeah, all, that almanac really is a book that actually gets, in some ways, almost even more and more interesting as the years go on. We pull ours out here in it the does. office a lot of times. Like we'll pull out a. We'll be talking about something that's like, well, let's look in the 1995 Almanac, and we'll pull it out and take a look at I always love looking who was back the at, best guys in the, you know, who should have we have ranked in the top league top 20 that year. I love looking back at those for, like, JUCO stats. Like, oh, this guy was one of the top JUCO guys. Yeah, that kind of stuff, it sticks out. Duh. But the other, uh, of course, other book that we're working on feverishly at this time of year is the Prospect Handbook. And when it's Prospect Handbook season, that means it's top 10 season. So we're going to talk uh, the next few podcasts with some exceptions, we're going to talk uh, top ten prospects. It's National League East top ten prospects. Well, They're yeah. all online. We'll have some additional prospect podcasts in addition to that. We're going to have, we a, have a draft podcast this week uh, with Connor and Nathan talking about the high school top hundred. And we'll have another draft podcast as Jim Callis uh, with its handbook season. Jim Callis comes down a couple times for the handbook to help edit it on site, and he will be here later this week. And as the CBA negotiations are very close, J.J., and I, I say kudos to Major League Baseball and the Players Association for keeping it quiet. Um, but there, there have been some leaks, and there are going to be some significant changes to the draft, and Jim and I and, and you will probably all talk about that in a podcast later this week. Uh, but we're going to do at least one podcast for every division. There might be a division where we decide to um, be an organization just too interesting or that kind of thing where we break it up. But you can plan on an NL East, an NL Central, an NL West and the same et cetera, PAL. et cetera, uh, podcast here in the off season at Baseball America. So, JJ, let's let's kick off the National League East first and foremost. Let's rank the top tens. And we don't have the whole top thirties in hand right here, but just ranking the top tens. How would you rank them in this division? Nats are number one. I think so as well. I, I don't think there's really that. I think the Nationals are are clear number one. The Braves are not that. The Braves. At the top of the Braves, the top three on the Braves, I think, I might even say I'd probably rather have the Braves top three, even with Bryce Harper being number one, than the Nationals not top three. You would or you would not? I would. Wow. I'm not with you on that. But the Braves top, the Braves list drops off much quicker than the Nationals list. The reason I say that, again, we'll get to that, we'll, we'll, we'll explain that when we get to the I Nationals. I know why. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I know why. But, but, but your Braves top Top three, Tehran, Vizcaino, Delgado. I think those are three very solid, nearly at least. Well, those are all three of them have big league with big experience. league experience. Every any organization would like to have their top three prospects be young power arm pitchers who already have a, a smidge of big league experience. That's so there's, there's no downside there. Not not only a smidge, but like in Randall Delgado's case. Seven starts and seven good starts. Yeah, he was very good. He was better than I thought. He'd and that's be the number the three prospect. Yeah, absolutely. No, he'd be number one in a lot of organizations. But that being said, the Braves list that there's a pretty significant gap. Randall Delgado's number three, and we're going to talk about you know some about well that that's a top hundred guy and all. Obviously, don't hold us top hundreds a long ways away. Yeah, but 
Those are three guys who are clearly top 100 guys. Those are top 100 guys. This, uh, Randall Delgado might have the skinniest head of any top 100 yes. guy. But, but yeah, I, I, those are all top 100 guys. Number four, Anderson Simmons. Number five, Sean Gilmartin. I think Anderson Simmons is the top 100 guy because you're going to get bonus points for shortstop, but it might cut off right there. And I think that there's going to be a pretty significant gap when we do our top 100 between where you see Delgado in that list and Simmons. I don't disagree with you at all. And there's intrigue in the rest of that top 10, JJ. But And there's you know there's more close to the majors help with a guy like Pasternicki. I mean, it wouldn't shock me if Tyler Pasternicki were there starting shortstop well, next year. I know we're, we're kind of getting into the Braves here instead of but, going uh, ranking the teams, but that's fine with me. Sorry, yeah, we're, no, yeah, okay. we're, we're jumping around. This is our podcast. That's how we do that's it. Right. But that kind of, I mean, but that sums up also. The Braves have some interesting decisions to make going forward. They've already made one, which we expected, which was Derek Lowe is, is no longer a Brave. And, and that decision was, I think they made the decision, but that uh, that was easier than I think they thought it probably would be. That was pretty good. Yeah, it was easier that they could find someone to take $5 I mean, they, million dollars of his contract. That's it. And, that's you know, they're still paying a lot of money to get rid of Derek Lowe, but that could be win-win as far as the Braves deleting Derek Lowe. I think it's for the Indians, it's a good $5 million flyer to take, you know, on a veteran pitcher like that who's – I still think there's something left in the tank with Derek Lowe. You know, we'll see. I'm a, I'm, you are I'm a Derek minority. Lowe. Yeah, you're a Derek you, – you, I've long been a Derek Lowe guy. So. You know, I, I and I'm not as much a Derek Lowe guy. So I, I can't uh, – at $5 million, the one thing I'll say is, is that if he's not, he won't be pitching for them by midseason. Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. No, I mean, that's not, a good way to put it. You don't want to spend five million dollars on a pitcher, you, but you don't. You're not going to let him go out there and have a five and a half ERA for 15 starts and say, right. You know what? Here's another 15. Let's see how it goes. You do kind of wonder about an infield of Laporta, Kipnis, uh, Cabrera, and Chisenhall. Is that right side of that infield going to be good enough for guys that are beginning all those ground balls? That I do wonder that fit. And the Indians have are such a ground ball heavy staff. Anyway, so I, I do wonder about that part, but I think when you have a young pitching, a uh, young pitching staff and a young team like that, um, I think it makes sense to to give Derek Lowe a whirl. But back to the from Braves. the race, for the race, it makes sense because Derek Lowe would at best probably have been their eighth best pitcher this year, starting right. Pitcher. I mean, now now with their top, now I think we both expect Julio Tehran is going to the big league level. There's Hudson for now, Jar Jurgens, Tommy Hansen, Brandon Beachy, Mike Miner. Julio Tehran, Randall Delgado. Am I leaving somebody out? And I guess then, the rehabbing Chris Medlin, who's probably going to go to the bullpen. And then it. And then the other question is: Is, is Vizcaino a starter or a reliever? I think when you line up those other eight guys, I think right Vizcaino is in the bullpen. I think he's in the bullpen. Um, you know, and then the question there is: and then Will Freddie Gar- Will Freddie Gonzalez overuse him because he's been fragile in the past, and Freddie Gonzalez overused the big leaguers they had there this year. There's no question about it. So. And, I'll say this. If he used, overuses them next year, it really will be a case of okay, there will be no excuse because right. that's where this Braves team looks very interesting is, is that you'll have – if this guy goes to the pen, this guy who's ready for – if he's going to go to the pen, he's ready to be in the big leagues. He's, ready, to, he's ready for important innings. Right. Like he's, he's ready for high leverage innings. Okay. So you have – if that's the case, you take what they already had, the, the big three they had this year, then you bring in – Vizcaino. Right. J.J. Hoover looks like he's he's close to being, close ready. To being ready. Christian Martinez is an interesting arm. So, I mean, I guess you, you try to divest yourself of Scott Linebrink if he's not already a free agent as soon right. as possible. That's a whole lot of intriguing arms for that pen. No doubt. I mean, <laughs> no that's, doubt. that's very that's, – that's, that's where the Braves – and we just talked about it. The Braves have some other decisions to make because – that's a whole lot of intriguing arms they have. Almost more. It almost too many. The depth they have means that at the start of the season, without any trades, you just mentioned it. There's a very good chance that if they didn't make any trades, they're going to make some more trades. But if they didn't, Tehran Delgado head back to AAA because why not get them some more innings in AAA? Not that they really necessarily need them. Right. But. If you've got everyone else is healthy from that rotation, who was your rotation at the end of the year? You'd rather have them taking a turn every five days in Gwinnett than getting possibly overused by Freddie Gonzalez or just languishing and not developing in a big league bullpen. But that being said, someone else who's more expensive is going to be moved, and it does seem like Jar Jurgens is the guy who's most likely to be that guy. And that makes sense. I mean, he's marketable. He He's not 
shown a great recent track record of durability. I think it's I think it makes sense for the Braves to have at least a couple guys in reserve because Tommy Hansen didn't make it through the whole season. Tim Hudson's what 36, 37 years old now. I think you do want to have it's important for them to have depth uh, and to have extra pitchers. But guess what they do? And there's a you know later on guys down the line like a guy like a Sean Gilmartin or Zeke Spruill. I mean Spruill. It's not inconceivable that Spruill, who made seven starts in Double A this year, if you need an emergency start out of him in 2012. That he could be. It's uh, no less inconceivable than Tehran, who came up relatively yeah. early in the year for them last year. Right, and then I, I like Tyler Pastor, Nikki JJ, and uh, you know I, I think it depends on what the rest of the Braves offseason looks like, and I guess the Braves really kind of have to assess uh, what Jason Hayward they're going to have in 2012. Is it going to be uh, somewhere in between 2010 and 11? You know what what kind of Jason Hayward shows up? I think there's a sliding scale. I mean, Alice Gonzalez gave them power. And I guess a veteran defensive presence. I don't think Pastor Nicky's upside is as high as Gonzalez's is de- uh, in terms of defense. But and by I, that I think you mean the defense that you saw I mean, from when him Alice back Gonzalez when he was, was at his best. Yeah. yeah, when he was at his best. I don't think Tyler Pastor Nicky ever be a, pr- a premium defender at shortstop. No. But I think he could be a capable one at, at shortstop. And uh, the question is, do the Braves can the Braves be just capable? Because you know they're just capable at second base in Dan Nugla, and they're just capable at third base with Chipper Jones. So. Some point or somewhere along the line, you want good, not just capable, uh, on defense. So that's I think the question is for Pastor Nicky and, and the Braves have to do. Anderson they they Simmons, can't just evaluate who's him. Still a ways away, is good. You know, I was he's at, just not capable. The question of him is, is will he be capable at the plate? You know, I, I, it's funny you mentioned him. I just remember this conversation. I went to the Rising Stars game in Arizona, which was a blast, and uh, talked to Joe Tordasovich, who did not make this top ten. I'm a little bit surprised he didn't in some ways. Especially if watching him just drop the bat head on, on that home running off Garrett Cole. I mean, you really showed pretty sick power. But I talked to him briefly in BP about Anderson Simmons, and he just said, like, that guy was so far and away better than the other shortstops he's seen in pro ball. And then he said, like, the only reason that guy makes errors is that he's convinced he can make every play. Mm-hmm. So that's a guy who does have ceiling defensively. Better, really, even than Alex Gonzalez. Oh, yeah. And the fact I, that he won the batting title in the Carolina League makes me think that the guy will hit enough to be a regular. Right. And I don't think he's going to be impact. And the thing you've got to remember is, is if you're listening to this, rescale your expectations right. for shortstops. We're not in the era of the 20 home run you know, shortstop who also plays solid above average defense. Yeah, there's one of those guys now. They're not like six. Right. <laughs> there's one. And there's a whole lot of guys who, if you hit an empty 300 in the big leagues and play very good defense, that's going to have value. Yeah, and I mean, you, uh, you, you, I know there's some people who are like, oh, it doesn't have that much value because it's all of, all of value is tied up the batting average. If you play above average defense and can do anything at the plate, right, you're going to have value because that's the that's the arrow we're back in. I think you look at your playoff teams this year, JJ, and you had in the American League. You had a team that had a complete zero at shortstop in the Rays, basically. Uh, Reed Brignac was horrible this year. And Sean, Gonzalez was a, Sean Rodriguez was a platoon player. You had two teams in the Yankees and Tigers who were basically going for all offense at shortstop. Derek Jeter had a great second half for the Yankees, but the Yankees have known that he's a below-average defender for a long time. Uh, but he can still hit. And Johnny Peralta is an offense-first guy in Detroit. You basically had one team in Texas that had a defense-first shortstop who also – Gives you some offensive production. He Elvis Andrews, who has very little power, was really the only he's two-way a, he's shortstop in the American he's a League guy playoff team. Values tied in his average, and he runs. Yeah, he walks a little bit. He runs right. He handles the bat. He really probably shouldn't hit two hole, two hole, but whatever. Yeah, you probably I mean, also wouldn't bat the best guy hitter in the AL over the second half season. Eight, seven, seven, eight, yeah, eight, I mean. exactly. And in the National League, you know, Rafael Furcal, you know, the, the the certainly passed his prime, but was productive for St. Louis. But St. Louis, you know, one of the reasons they were struggling and were not going to make the playoffs the first half of the year was they, did but not they were horrible at shortstop, just horrible. And that, But that sums up what we're talking about. There are playoff teams yeah. who had gaping holes at shortstop. Yeah. Andleton Simmons, right. if he continues to develop, will not be a gaping hole. No, absolutely. I agree. He will not be a gaping hole. He'll, he'll be, he should be a bottom-of-the-lineup hitter. Right. But his defense is going to be first division Top of the first division defense potentially at shortstop with, with an arm that's like when you talk about for call with a for call esque right. arm. But you look it. at the you know look at the rest of the national team and the Diamondbacks. You know Stephen Stephen Drew tools wise is a first division you know top shelf shortstop, but he's hurt, 
So they go with Johnny McDonald and Willie Bloomquist at shortstop. Arizona does down the stretch, and they you know, play great down the stretch, pulled away. Uh, you know, this is why Jimmy Rollins is a valuable player. And then, of course, the Brewers, 96 wins with UNESCO Betancourt at shortstop. If you have a good enough other team, you can make up for these things. But the, we're just trying to point out that not a lot of profile shortstops out there. Anderson Simmons is going to be – I think he has supreme value. But I, I do think, for me, if I'm evaluating the Braves, I think Tyler Pastor Nicky's even with as good as other, other pitchers are, I think he's most likely to be uh, a rookie who makes impact next year just because I think he can be – a good, cheap, everyday shortstop that helps you uh, address. He's he's a low-cost player and capable, and he allows you to do other things, other positions on your roster. So and for me, he'd be my he, – if I were the Braves, he'd be my starting shortstop next year. Right, and the only question becomes, will, will, will there be the opportunity for him? Right, absolutely. Uh, let's move on. Yeah. Let's, let's move on to the now Miami, Miami Marlins. Marlins. And uh, I think they're the f- number five org for me. Number yeah. five, top ten. Uh, I think we agree on that. In, in this, in, in the National League East. Now, last night, as we record this on a Monday, Sunday night, we had Christian Yelich on our uh, Sirius XM show, and uh, he was good. Uh, talked talked at length about his throwing motion, and uh, when we mentioned that we had Christian Yelich on the show today, Nathan Rody said his throwing motion is really messed up. I mean, like it's like we're obsessing. And Christian about Yelich this a says, bit. "Yes, I know. I've heard this." He's he's heard it, and it doesn't seem to matter. And when you hit, uh, you know. The way he did uh, with his swing and with his – he's got power, he's got speed, he's got hitting ability, he's athletic, and he's playing up the middle in center field. J.J., to me, Christian Yelich is a very representative, a very strong number one prospect. I have no problem. Number one, number two on this list? Yeah. No problems at all. And number two is a, a high-risk, high-reward, but that's high, high-reward Yeah, Marcelo Zuna. Yeah, like some of the people we talked to this year talked about, you know, you're throwing 80 power on this guy, you're throwing 70 uh, throwing arm on this guy. He's a prototype right field profile. Uh, he's not Mike Stanton. Um, I don't think he'll ever are. be Mike Stanton, but yeah, Very that's what makes are. Mike Stanton. That's what makes him Mike Stanton, you know. Um, but the rest of the top ten. He only hit twenty three home runs in Greensboro. He didn't hit. Was it thirty six? I think Mike Stanton would hit twenty three like in two months yeah. in Greensboro. Um, but yeah, but the, but the rest of the top ten, you have a first round pick. Their last two first round picks, I should say, or two of their last three in Fernandez and Chad James. Um, you know, young pitchers. Chad James, who had you know better than a five and fifteen season, but still yeah, not but great. A, better than a five and fifteen. At the same time, you give up one hundred seventy three hits and one hundred fifty innings in the Florida State League. That's not a great year. I agree. That's and not missing a whole lot of bats. That's that's getting squared up some. He is, and then you know I like Rob Rasmussen. You know I'm not a big Matt Dominguez guy. Uh, I'm intrigued by guys like JT Realmuto and, and Noah Perio. But JJ, this is probably a three guys at most on the top 100 at most, uh, and, I don't, and maybe I don't, a little I don't, more I don't like think two. Jose Fernandez is making it. Yeah, it, it, uh, it, I don't think that that you're not talking there. We usually don't put 15 draft guys. I don't think in the top 100, especially when you're talking about guys before the draft. You say, "Oh, that guy's clearly going to make the top 100." He wasn't a guy who was. He's no, good. I can't, He's not, I can't remember where he was in our top 200. I think it was inside the top 25. I mean, he is pretty, he is pretty interesting. He's a physical right, but, prep right-hander. But he's a physical prep right-hander. Usually those guys, if you're not the – there are a couple of prep right-handers. You're right not handers. Dylan Bundy. If you're not Ryan, Dylan Bundy, those kind of guys, Archie Bradley, who was you're considered right. the class of that – we at least wait. We want to see you actually make a start every fifth day and how you handle it. You're right. That, he, he's probably not going to be in the top 100. Um, so, and the rest of the, uh, you know, a guy like Adam Conley, I think we like Adam Conley at number 10, but he could be a lefty reliever. Um, and there's a lot of relievers when you look overall in this organization's top 30. There's a lot of relief pitchers. Scott Cousins, number nine. The reality of it is, is that he's probably a fourth outfielder. Yeah. A useful yeah. fourth outfielder. And he's big league ready as a fourth outfielder. But at the same time, a, there aren't a whole lot of fourth outfielders in top 10s. No, and uh, for me, the most interesting player in the list, besides you know Yelich and Ozuna, is Real Muto, just because he's a guy who was a highly touted high school quarterback. Uh, obviously, football's a big deal in the in the state of Oklahoma, um, but uh, you know a guy who also didn't catch a lot in high school, now full time catcher with some offensive ability. I think he hit a home run off Steven Strasburg, if memory serves, and when did. Strasburg was rehabbing in the South Atlantic League. So, just like a guy who's well, got some power, got some athletic ability. Um, interesting conversion guy. Right, and, and we'll have to see, you know, he uh, – the thing about it is, is I would argue Real Muto is what the Marlins hoped they were getting in Skipworth. 
and never, yeah, never got. Of, yeah. <laughs> He's a third-round pick. Skip Worth was a first-round pick. But the reality is, is Real Muto has showed more offensive potential already than Skip Worth has during his career. And defensively, there are the tools there for Real Muto to be maybe better defense, as good at least as good. Oh, I think he'll be at least as good defensively. I mean, it is, it's funny after, after seeing Skip Worth in the fall league. Um, you can see why he was the sixth overall pick. Just if you just look at him, you know, he's big, but not too big left-handed hitter. You know, he's hit for some power in the minor leagues, but it just really hasn't come together for Kyle Skipworth. That's a, that's a draft pick that, uh, it just didn't work out. You're looking back on that one. Um, I think that was the same. Catchers sometimes take a little while, but it's 2008. I mean, you're, yeah, no. At it, some point, you have to start seeing some. Yeah, I think we know that this is not going to be a guy who's going to fulfill the ceiling of being picked in the first ten overall picks in the draft. But the, you know, the Marlins. It's funny they hit Southern California as hard as any organization. Yelich is a SoCal guy. Matt Dominguez is a SoCal guy. Rob Rasmus is a SoCal guy. Uh, Scott Cousins is actually a NorCal guy. Uh, and then Noah Perio. I mean, it's they hit, and then of course Mike Stanton. Uh, well, it's a, but, they hit Southern California hard, as hard as any organization does. As far as talking about the organization in their direction, now, fascinating direction that they're going in as, yeah. as, a, as an organization, we'll see what happens with it. They've gone in the indie ball direction at the, on the minor league level with uh, Marty Scott as their farm director. Right. They, they acknowledge that their farm system has uh, gone the wrong direction and that they need to do a better job developing players, and they made a change in their minor league department this year. At the big league level, they're trying to make as many noise, as much noise as they can, that this is a different Marlins team, new ballpark, new uniforms, new uniforms, new and new free agents, and new manager, obviously in Ozzie Guillen, and uh, he's really the magnet to allow them to go court these players like a Jose Reyes. Uh, one of the tweets I saw the day from a South Florida writer was that he is central to all their off-season plans, Jose Reyes. And I guess there was a report over the weekend that deal was already done. Uh, that was obviously premature at best, wrong at worst. Um, but I don't know, JJ. Does how much can a few free agent signings change? It would be pretty dynamic to have Jose Reyes and Hanley Ramirez on the left side of the infield. Right. The, but they, yeah, this doesn't feel like a team that's a player or two away. Exactly. I agree with you. Especially because their core. I, now the thing I'll say for him is, is you do have in Stanton, you have a a very young top player right but Hanley Ramirez is getting you know he's he's getting older and more expensive he is he already is more expensive they've already extended he's expensive Reyes would be expensive that could hey you can't knock it that if the Marlins add Reyes that makes them better defensively at shortstop Ramirez can play multiple other positions where he would be fine one would assume. Yeah, one would think. Yeah, I mean, well, I remember that there was time, you know, talk back when he was still in, in the minors. It's like this guy may be a future stud center fielder. Right, right. But it it does. You, you still then you still have a lot of the same question marks, and I, I don't know. It really kind of, I, I don't know how those get fixed because there's there's not really if you look at it, like you look at this top ten. You can argue that Dominguez, okay, maybe he's ready, you know, to to come up. But when we talk about Anderson Simmons being a bottom of the order hitter, Matt Dominguez is that's a good is comparison. The, the, Matt Dominguez, actually, though, I'll say this that that fits. Now, if if they sign Reyes and they move Hanley, they're either moving the third or the center. Right. In that case, if he's in center and Reyes is at short. That's the perfect team to have Matt Dominguez as your third baseman. Yeah. He'll play gold glove third you're base, right. and you're basically saying, okay, our shortstop will produce as a third baseman, right. and our third baseman will produce as a shortstop. Yeah, that makes some sense. Uh, it would be interesting to see Hanley at this stage of his career, as big as he is playing center field. To me, you just don't want that guy running around that much at that size at this stage <laughs> but, of his although career. He, he might slim down a little bit by doing it. That's true. <laughs> that's true. But that, that's got to make that's got to be hard on the knees. No matter what free agents they sign, to me, their team is still going to be tied to. Is Josh Johnson healthy? Yes or no? And if he's not, they just don't have the pitching without him. If they do, you have a rare number one starter. Uh, to me, that makes all the difference. This is already more Marlins than I think I've ever talked. So, they just don't interest me. I don't know what it is. Well, I mean, maybe it's the South Florida part of it, having lived there. But uh, without – Hey, we're covering – we're covering – we're going to – what we want to do with these do is we want to cover them extensively, each team. That if was extensive. Fan, if we're if you're a fan of team, we're talk we're going to give you at least about ten minutes, hopefully, on your team. The Marlins, is the, but that's the thing. They're 
it's surprising that they they have drafted high, pitchers high, but uh, and, and they've done that for like six, seven, eight years. But that 2005 draft, they've acknowledged, Did just not didn't work, work out. out for them. They're still kind of you know, Chris Volstad's the best of that lot, and he still hasn't really. They've given up. The Beal is, they've given up. I mean, yeah, he's out of the organization. Uh, you know, Taylor Tanker, yeah, they've drafted pitchers with their first pick in 04, 05, 06, and then 2009 and 2011. So it's not because they haven't tried. Uh, but outside of Josh Johnson, uh, their homegrown pitchers, you know, the rest of the other pitchers are guys who came over and trade, Anibal Sanchez and Ricky Nolasco. So it's, it's surprising that they've, been, they've struggled that much to develop pitching after finding Josh Johnson back in the, what, the 02 draft. Uh, it's been a long time since they drafted successfully. Speaking of teams that are trying to find their way, yeah. the New York Mets. That's a good way to put it. They are trying to find their way, J.J. Uh, you know, and now they have a, a one-year scouting director, Chad McDonald, gone from the organization, gone to the San Diego Padres. Tommy Tanus, I think is how you pronounce his last name, is the new uh, scouting director. I just talked to a Mets scout last week um, a little bit about Tommy. And, uh, yeah, he doesn't see their organization's philosophy changing that much, but uh, there's just a lot of change going on with the Mets, and they're gonna, probably going to lose Jose Reyes. They'll probably trade uh, David Wright, it sounds like. Uh, this team, offensively, was actually pretty good. Matt Eddy with the stat of the year for me in their overview. They outscored the Phillies, even though the Phillies hit like 45 more home runs than the Mets. And you think of the Mets as like uh, City Field as kind of like a Petco Park Part 2. Well, at least the, the, the Padres play to that park. They don't score, but they, don't, they, they pitch pretty well. Uh, they were third in the National League in ERA. The Mets were like 11th, even in City Field. So to their credit, and the Mets have concentrated their focus on arms and getting Zach Wheeler, Matt Harvey in last year's draft, Wheeler this year in the, in the Beltron trade, um, that's a pretty good power arm duo. Uh, I'm just thinking of the other National League teams we've already done, really the Braves and the Cardinals, the only ones that are comparable with Shelby Miller and Carlos Martinez in St. Louis. Better. And better, I agree. And then uh, you know, what we just talked about in Atlanta, which is also better. Because they've got big league experience with Tehran, Vizcaino, right, and Delgado. No, Wheeler Harvey, you're not going to. Wheeler con- Harvey's pretty good. That's and especially you are talking about a guy who's in high A last year and a guy who's in double A. You're not talking about guys who are, you know. We're not talking about a Jose uh, Fernandez. We're talking about well, right. you know, let's see how many made a start every fifth. Day. Right, or a guy like a James who hasn't gotten out of A ball and really hasn't had a ton of success in right. the minor leagues yet. Right, but I, I think the top end of this list. I think you can even say Brandon Nemo is a very interesting number three. Ideally, in a in a great or you know in a better organization, he's a number five prospect, maybe number four. Yep. But number th- he's not a he's not embarrassing. There are some organizations where he'd be number one. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think Matt Harvey would be number one in a lot of organizations. That, these, those two guys to me are pretty interchangeable. There's a dime's worth of difference between Harvey and and Zach Wheeler. Um, for me, the Mets list falls apart at number, after number five. I like Cesar Pueyo, Henry Mejia. I like Henry Mejia as well, but uh, injured this year, so there's a question mark there. Then you get to Kirk Newenhouse, who's really more of an extra guy, although maybe he's a second division center fielder. Um, then you have a high school pitcher from this year's draft, the Michael Fulmer, oft injured Reese Havens. And then the guy we probably, probably could spend a lot of time talking about, J.J.'s Wilmer Flores, sneaks onto the list at number 10. It just—it's the second time in the last five or six years the Mets have had a, a prospect who bursts on the scene, hits at the lower levels, is very young for his age, and then just seems to stop making progress. And Fernando Martinez is—to me—does Fernando Martinez's track record affect how you view Wilmer Flores? It does me. It—I I, wonder—I don't know if it does. I've never—I've just been off the Wilmer Flores train before. I would kind of before either, it left the station. Before right? it left the station, like. I wonder with guys like that, are you retarding their development because it's almost like, and this is a bad analogy, I'll warn everyone right now, (laughs) but you can't teach calculus to someone who hasn't learned algebra. You're talking about the Mets have this history of pushing guys so fast that it's almost you throw them in the lake, and if they sink, then, well, they couldn't make it. And if they swim, hey, great. You know, you're... It's like the Detroit Tigers approach, but the Tigers simply they do it with toolsier guys. The Mets have done it with guys who can hit, but their other tools aren't great. And that was, that was the case with Fernando Martinez. And that's the case with Wilmer Flores. He does not... He doesn't run. And I, I guess the real problem, J.J., is finding a profile that Wilmer Flores fits. Because he can hit. 
but the power hasn't shown up yet. And yeah, he's young, but at some point, when do you stop saying that? You know, he's 20 years old. That's I've awfully heard 20s. young. I've heard 20s on his feet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No doubt. No, I've, we've, we've I, I've never, I, I don't, I don't know. He's not an athlete. I do enough. not know yeah. if I can name you another shortstop in the minors with 20 speed. Yeah, he's not an athletic guy. I didn't, I said he's not an athlete, but he's, he, you just don't get any positive reports about his level of athletic ability. And that's not his fault. Right. That's just who but he is. But I don't understand. I understand that like you, I, the theory of you keep a guy at a position for as long as you can, and then you move them off of it. But in Flores' case, there's a lot of demands that come with being a shortstop also. I do wonder if put him at a little bit easier position, would that help his offense kind of take off a little bit too? Because yeah, his I offense agree. has not really shown any significant improvement in the last no, couple No, he doesn't years. draw a lot of walk and doesn't hit for a lot of power. I think there's a chance the power could come. But it's going to have to for him to be an everyday regular. That's why we because have him in the top ten because there's still a chance that power could come. <laughs> but he it might have to be at first base. It probably won't be left field. Really, JJ, what you're saying is let's put this guy at third base now. Find out if he can and play like, third base. We still base. have to see if he can play that. And, that. and that's where you're. To me, part of the reason that you push these guys to such advanced levels at young ages is you create value for them. Right. And it worked with Diolas Guerra. He was part of the package for uh, Johan Santana. But soon, it's almost like if you don't strike while that prospects... Uh, if you don't manage to trade him, then you're, yeah, you stuck, with him, you're stuck with a less valuable prospect. That's it. You've devalued him if you don't move him at his peak. And right now, I think his, and, he's devalued. And the thing about it is, is, I don't know if that necessarily works too well. I, talking to scouts from other organizations, you'll hear them say, it's really hard to get a handle on Mets guys because yeah. you see guys... They do it the op. They do it two entirely different ways. You see a lot of Latin guys who are playing way above the level they should be at, right? And you see a lot of polished, especially polished college pitchers and that kind of guys in the Mets organization who are playing way below where they should be playing. You know, you know who <clears throat> the opposite of Wilmer Flores kind of is, and at the same time, like the same guy, is Juan Lagares. I didn't realize that Juan Lagares finished fifth in the minors in batting, mm-hmm. hitting three forty nine. Yeah. And the one year I did the Mets top 30, he was in it. He was number 28 as like a 17-year-old. He was either 17 or 18. He played that year in the Sally League. He played shortstop. Now he's like a lumbering left fielder. But even at that time, uh, we ranked him. He made 42 errors, I think, in 80 games or 40 errors in 82 games in low A. And he was playing shortstop. And they knew. Uh, you read the report, they are like, yeah, he's not a shortstop. But we played him there anyway. And, you know, now you kind of wonder – Juan Lagar seems like a guy that other scouts just don't think much about, but to me there has to be something there. There has to be some athleticism. And he hit three fifty for crying out loud, including three seventy in double A. He's twenty two. Is that where Wilmer Flores is headed? Is he headed to Juan Lagarisville? Because I don't think the Mets want that. I don't think they want Juan Lagares in Juan Lagarisville. But it sounds like that's where Wilmer Flores is headed. But because well, he had hype at one point, um be- tied a hundred percent really to his age, um He's a very difficult guy to get a handle on. It would be it would be nice to see him play third base next year, at either back in the Florida State League or Double A. But here's the problem: and see what happens. Can you put him back in the Florida State League? Yeah, I don't know. He hit two sixty what two sixty nine. I mean, can I you put him back put there him for back year there. three? Oh, I forgot that it'd be year three. Yeah, probably not. You can't. <laughs> probably not. From a player from confidence a standpoint, you can't standpoint. say go on back there. You know, the great thing is, is you know where all the places to eat are. You know, you you you, you got the best parking spot. <laughs> you don't and, want to be the mayor of St. Lucie. Yeah, you know, and so the other problem the Mets have though is, is that uh, on a on a broader level, if Reyes leaves, which sure looks like it's going to happen, yeah, whether they trade David Wright or not, who's this team built around now? Oh. Uh... I don't know. Dylan G? <laughs> I don't know. The, the I mean, highest the, salary the, player is still Johan Santana. But the, the problem for this team is is that I don't think you can rebuild in New York like you can in, in some places. You can't say, look, guys, right. we're four years away. Well, they're turning into the Dodgers, and it's the similar root cause, which is ownership uh, that was mismanaged the club and mismanaged its own money. So obviously different roots of that. With uh, you know, but, the Wilpons getting caught up in the, but, and in the, the Bernie but, Madoff stuff. And you summed up. The key thing about this, if I was a Mets fan, the thing that I would be angriest about 
is that they don't understand the draft. Yeah, and that's and the that's thing not the people. I'm not saying that the I'm not saying that the people in the Mets organization don't understand the draft. But that, I'm that, saying that, that, that the ownership, ownership right. has not understood the draft. And this year they did go a little bit out of slot. They were a little bit more aggressive. They took. But more there is no big market team that has done a worse job of understanding how you can use the draft to take advantage to basically be the big market team. Yeah, I mean they've had. Put it this way, I mean, that was one of Omar Minaya's larger failings as Mets guy, uh, general manager. He had several, um, but one of them was they spent they lost a lot of draft picks on uh, to free agent compensation, and then when they did go over slot, it was Mike Pelfrey, uh, who's just been a disappointment. No other way to put it. He's been a reliable, below average big league starter. Um, I think I saw his best start ever in 2008, the night before uh, the All Star break. Um, but, you know, other guys they've drafted high, guys like, you know, Eddie Coons and Steven Matz and some of these guys, they just they didn't draft very well for well, several years. And they've had some fines in there, Lucas Duda here, Ike Davis there, but, but no impact really. And they don't – the thing what I'm saying, though, is go a step further. Yeah, as far they're as leveraging the team, their money, yeah. They're the team that does not. The Yankees, the Red Sox, a lot of these other big market teams, they're going to take a 12th rounder or an 18th rounder who they're going to take a run at. Right. The Mets don't. The Mets don't. And they've had a payroll of $100 million or more every year, save one, since 2003. And they don't they leverage. Do, they do it at the big league level. They do it at the big league but level, and they don't. The at the leverage. same time, you're right. of their top five club bonuses, you know, bonuses in club history, three of them are from 2005 and before. Yeah. Yeah, f- four of them. Pelfrey, Umber, Casimir. Oh, Nemo is 2011. I'm sorry. But yeah, no, you're and, right. And when we talk, Brandon Nemo this year signed the fifth largest bonus in team history, two point one mil. Yeah, no, you're right. It's that's surprising. not. That's not throwing your weight around. It is. It would be disappointing to be a Mets fan. We have one in the office, and, and Matt Eddie is disappointed about their. Uh, in fact, I think that they've really kind of beaten but, the Mets fandom out of it. But over let, the years. well, let, let's ask it so. So, where do you slot the Mets as far as? I slot them four, uh, just ahead of the Marlins. It's I agree. it's close. I think it's really close. And the next club, to me, the Phillies, I give them a three. I rank them third uh, ahead of the Mets because I give them the benefit of the doubt. They developed their pitchers a lot better than the Mets. Well, not only that, but they've – All their players, really. Like, And this Met, and this Phillies list is significantly weaker than it's been. Absolutely. But there's an understandable reason it's weaker, yeah. which is if you keep trading away prospects to land star big leaguers – right. Or at least very comfortably, you know, key big leaguers. Um, yeah, that's that's an understandable use of your farm system. I'm doing the Astros top thirty, and four members of my top ten are former Phillies <laughs> in Singleton, Santana, Cozart, and Jonathan Villar, and all those guys would probably rank ahead of Trevor May for me, uh, including Santana. I like Domingo Santana, but. I don't That's know if I go all show. four, but yeah, but I'll put it this way: all four of those guys be, would easily be in the top ten. Oh yeah, all all four of those guys are in the are ahead of Jesse Biddle for me. Yeah, I mean they're all. I mean, if you put those four guys back in the Phillies farm system, Jesse Biddle is, is number six at the most, and he's number two without those guys there. And that's not even talking about the guys that traded the Blue Jays for Halliday, Anthony Goes, and Travis Darno, and some of those guys. Um, Anthony Ghost, by the way, who is a dead ringer for T-Plush. He is facially, he's skinnier, but he is a dead ringer for Nigel Morgan. And Paul Severino of MLB Network agrees with me. We were at the Rising Stars game. He was like, is that, who is that who looks just like Nigel Morgan? I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, I hadn't placed it before. Let's ask this. If you put together a top ten of traded who still qualify to be prospects, well, Kyle you could put doesn't qualify anymore, does he? And no, Carlos he does Carrasco not. does not. But you could put together. You just ran off six. Yeah, well, of the tra- well, I ran off four guys who were traded. Oh yeah, six. Ghost and Darno. Who else? The Blue did get Drayback. That says there got to be some more in there. Um, who they? Marson doesn't qualify anymore. Michael Taylor still qualifies, but I don't think he's a top ten caliber prospect. Right, but okay. So it's probably six. It's probably six legit top 10 caliber prospects that they've traded away in the last couple of years. And you want to talk about a team that has big money that doesn't leverage it in the draft per se. Look at their top five signing bonuses, JJ. They haven't gotten someone to break into that since 2002. 
Number one, they draft high, but number two, um, they spread their money around in the draft. Jerry Kozar you know was a late, I, if, if, they, again, they're still aggressive. I was going to say they're aggressive in different way, and I they don't. I, I to me, they get it. They just do it a different way, which is they are the masters of. Uh, they're a team that knows how to target the not expensive, but you know the guy that you throw. The guy who's fallen, but isn't necessarily a, a seven-figure, eight-figure. Hey, Trevor guy. May, here's a, you're your fourth-round pick. We're going to give you enough money to, to Brody bring you. Brody Colvin. You know, Brody Colvin, who ranked at the front of these pitchers last year, but, came, but had really a loss. Juwan James, who was, you know, we, we could get you for $150,000 in the 22nd round. Right, right. Those kind of guys. Uh, they do it. They just do it. They do it on the on the cheap sometimes, but they do it wisely. They do. I, I think their scouting department deserves a, a heck of a lot of credit for the, the just the progress that their organization has made, um, just providing the fodder for these trades for their big league club. And of course, uh, you know a lot of the same scouts are there who drafted Chase Utley and Ryan Howard and uh, Jimmy Rollins, uh, that, that Cole Hamels, that homegrown core that they have. Uh, JJ, you did. You know, we we both talked to people a lot about that Florida State League pitching staff. May Pettibone, uh, Colvin, all were on that pitching staff, and then Jawan James was at was at Clearwater this year. Uh, you know, Jawan James, uh, kind of a controversial prospect in a way, in that he almost didn't make this top ten. He was a late addition to the top ten. What's your take on this guy? I mean, uh, you know, that's a pretty uninspiring year to make a top ten off of with a sub seven hundred OPS. Um, and he's 22 years old. I mean, I know it's a little bit of a different development path. I was going to say, you remember, yeah, there's two years there that uh, that he right. lost because he was a pitcher and then he right. missed a year. But Do you still think of him as a potential impact guy or is he more of an extra guy at this point? I still think there's something there. And the reason I say that, for one of the things is is that usually if if I, if I you closed your eyes and I described a, you know, a prospect like Juwan James and you said he really offensively hasn't taken off, Usually what you're going to say with that guy, the the really athletic guy who played every sport, a little raw because of that in high, you know, played every sport in high school. Right. That guy usually what you're going to say is is okay, his 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 pitch recognition is awful. He swings at everything that bounces, rolls or goes right. over his head. Right. That's not Jawan James. Right, that isn't. You're right. He's what he has what he has not been able to do is really kind of and I do wonder with some of this, you know, we see the same thing. I I, I can't think, help but think of Aaron Hicks. You got these guys who switch hit, and you wonder how much tougher is that making it for him because you have two swings to to maintain. That's a good point. I actually hadn't thought about that. He is fairly comparable. I mean, to they had they similar, very similar seasons in the Florida State League. Aaron Hicks was a pitcher in high school. He wasn't a pitcher in pro ball like Jawan James tried to be. But, yeah, that's interesting. Um, I think Hicks – uh, multi-sport was golf as opposed to basketball and football like it was for Juwan right. James. I, I kind of wonder, like, Juwan James, there's been talk, you know, hey, is he, would he be better off? There's been talk with Aaron Hicks also. Would he be better off junk, you know, just saying, you know what, we're not going to have you switch it anymore. Right. You know what, you're, I mean, he's a lefty. Let's just let you hit lefty. <laughs> yeah. And, and see where it goes. Because I think part of when you see a guy like that, like Juwan James, like our scouting report says, he's a slap hitter from the right side. Right. Well, you're not going to hit for as much power. Even from your natural side, I think it's tougher to hit for power when half the time, that you're, not half the time, but a third of the time you're at the plate, your approach is slap it and run. Yeah, and you're just not confident. And you know that that's not your best side. So um, I guess one of the other guys who got traded we, uh, who's fallen off the prospect map a little bit because of injuries is Jason Knapp. That's another big-time prospect. You could make a representative top ten. Uh, just of their traded guys, it uh, it'd be it, it would, it would be not rank thirtieth. I'll put it that way. That's right. And uh, you know, one of the guys they acquired in a trade uh, to quote unquote rebuild their farm system when they traded Cliff Lee was Philippe Beaumont, and that's the guy. JJ, I have to say, if if it were up to me, and if you just looked at the numbers, you'd never probably think of Philippe Beaumont as a top ten guy. But I talked to several scouts in the Eastern League when I did the EL. He didn't make my Eastern League top twenty, but there are a couple guys who are like, don't sleep on that guy. Do not forget about Philippe Beaumont. He still hasn't figured out the control, as I mentioned, command, but his stuff is sick. It's still there. It's still premium stuff, premium sync. This is a guy I think a lot of scouts are convinced is going to figure it out and become a, a wipeout closer. And there's opportunity in that big league bullpen to set up in Philadelphia, but the closer spot's kind of now taken. Yeah, that's Jonathan Papelbon signing over there. So, um, But between Antonio Bastardo, Mike Stutes, 
some of the other young guys who've broken into that bullpen already. I think the Phillies are expecting Oman to break in there um, and to break in there sooner than later, and he could still be the heir apparent to Papelbon. Uh, Justin DeFrade is another guy I think who could break into that mix, but Oman's the guy who's, I think, the the high upside, high risk guy in their top ten, which I just don't think people think of him that way, but that's who he is now. Now we have the Nationals, JJ. This will be otherwise known as the Anthony Renato debate. The Rendon. Anthony Rendon. Thank you. Anthony Renato is a whole other debate. Uh, something about you and guys with the names that sound like that. You, you don't like either of those guys. No, I don't like them. But you don't like them as much as others like them. That, well, you know, I, I, I have nothing fair. personal against either of them. You have personal animus for no. Anthony Rendon. Anthony Rendon killed your brother. No, <laughs> he did not. He just can't throw. To well, he hasn't thrown yet. He's in a our number two game. Nationals prospect. And my big concern. And I thing, would take their top three over the Braves' top three. The reason I would not is that right now. I'm sorry. I'm concerned. He did you not play. He did not play in the fall league. We, the fall league's not over yet, but That's it's over right. quick enough for me to say it's over in less than a week. It's so over in less over. than a week. He didn't play in the fall league. He's not going. He's not going. And when he was in instructional league, everybody thought that you know, the Nationals told people when we asked about Anthony Rendon, yeah, he'll be. He's not going to start in the fall league, but he'll be there sooner than later. And he never showed up. Which so they didn't want him to go if his arm wasn't fully healthy. Which is, to me, a significant concern. Doesn't mean he's not a solid prospect and all. But here we're talking about a guy who really was never healthy his entire junior year of college. Correct. Who's had significant, you can call him fluke if you want, but he's been healthy in little bites. No, he was healthy all his spring of his freshman year. He was healthy all his spring of his sophomore year. Right. The injuries were at the end of his freshman year in the postseason when he slid awkwardly, and then in the summer after his sophomore year when he was playing with USA Baseball. That right. was the first week of playing that summer. Right. And then his junior year was affected throughout by the He played. I'll, I'll give him credit. He played with it, but he couldn't play in the field for the vast majority of the season. Right, yeah. He played, what, like one or two games in the conference tournament at second base. And and maybe this is just me being too conservative. I'm not saying like that next year I could not see him being a top ten prospect in all of baseball. But I'm just not ready to go there yet because when you're talking about a guy who had a shoulder problem, which that shoulder problem has affected his hitting in some way too. Yeah, this spring he didn't hit with the impact that he had previously. They had the new bats as well, but but yes. I, I want to see – I'll be a lot more comfortable. With, when we're doing our midseason prospect update, I may be a lot more comfortable on him than I am right now, but I, I need to see. I think that's very reasonable, but I'd still take Harper – uh, Rendon and then Brad Peacock. I don't see what's so different about Brad Peacock. Brad and Peacock and Randall Delgado to me, that's a pretty interchangeable. I think the gap between Harper and Tehran is bigger than the gap between Vizcaino, who's probably a reliever, and Rendon. Yeah, that's my that's the main point. No, I, gonna... I don't dispute that there is reason to have worry about Anthony Rendon. I don't dispute that one bit. I think all your points are very well made, but and very reasonable. I'll, I'll agree with you. There's a gap from Harper to Tehran. It, there's a significant. Yeah, I think it's a pretty big And that's big not – and Tehran's going to be – I feel comfortable in saying and Tehran's also, probably a top – Well, And, and I like Anderson Simmons. What's interesting, Tehran – here's what's interesting. I don't think that Julio Tehran did almost anything this year, this past season, to diminish his prospect status. I don't think so either. That being said, depending on who gets posted and all, and Suspedis getting you know right. unblocked and all that, you could see him back up several spots in our top 100. This is a good draft. So that's part You've of it, You've got a good draft. Yeah. You've got Matt Moore basically doing a lot to help his prospect Correct. status. You have Harper and Trout doing nothing to hurt their prospect status. Certainly not. And then you, again, you add potentially some guys from Japan. You add, you know. I take Tehran over Ioannis Cespedes, Cespedes, whatever. Cespedes, but yeah. I, I'm I, not sure which it is. To be I, I, don't ask me. I'm I think it's Cespedes. king of not pronouncing names properly. <laughs> but but the interesting thing is, is that top ten is going to be a – there's going to be a whole lot of competition to make that top ten this year. There is. Uh, Harper will be in it, though. I feel confident saying that I think right Harper's going to be in there. and uh, If he's not one, he'll be two. If he's not two, he'll be one. I have a feeling that Jim Callis is going to have Anthony Rendon in his top ten. But uh, I, obviously, I will not have him in mind. Obviously, Aaron Fit not taking Anthony Rendon over Bryce Harper as Jim Callis was wont to do in 2010, but he did not do in 2011. 
Uh, the Nationals list, JJ, the other thing about it is that it's a real boomer bust top ten. Right. This It's a high, high upside. It's a high upside list. Now, let's be fair here. Like, And we're both praising it. We think it's number one. I, I think it's number one large part because that guy who's sitting at number one on the list, Bryce Harper. He's the biggest reason. But this list, it's a better list. But we've seen this before with the Nationals where, in hindsight, we looked at it a couple of years later and went, you know, that list wasn't as good as we thought it was at the time because there's a whole lot of, the same as we saw a couple of years ago with their list, there's a whole lot of draftees who have yet to basically play pro ball. Correct. And, I, you know, I like Brian Goodwin. Uh, I like Alex Meyer. <laughs> I like Matt Perk. All right. But there's a nice five, six, seven right there when none of them play. Right. Number two, five, six, seven have do not have an official pro inning or at bat. Right. Um, to me, Alex Meyer is... Uh, a lot. Well, there's a lot of similarities between Alex Meyer and Andrew Brackman. Um, that's not that's that's damning him with faint praise right there. You know, I mean, Andrew Brackman already set free by the Yankees. We knew that contract was trouble as soon as they signed Andrew Brackman to that contract. And whether he would ever have lived up to whether he would ever have made the big leagues on his own merits, you know, we don't know. He still might, but that contract was a killer. I mean, I can't blame him for getting his contract that paid him. Uh, he's probably gotten nine million dollars out of it so far, but. Yeah, that's why he's not a Yankee right now at this at this point. But Alex Meyer is a similar player, a similar pitcher. He's big, and I think he's similarly athletic to Andrew Brackman. I think that was a whole miscalculation with Brackman, was just how athletic he is. Um, to me, Alex Meyer is a reliever. I think to me the biggest, and I think Brian Goodwin. The big question is: Is he going to be kind of a tweener, left fielder without great power, or is he going to be good enough to play center field? The scouts I've talked to about him are very mixed. I do I do think he'll hit. He controlled the strike zone as a college freshman. He controlled it in the Cape Cod League. I do think that there's a chance that he could hit for some power. Will it be a left fielder or a center fielder? I think he, there's a chance he's a tweener. And I'll sit Matt Perk at number seven. He's that the is question. the boom bust. Yeah, we were, we're talking about Rendon. Whatever I just said about Rendon is times ten when it comes to Perk. Now he that at least did said, pitch in the fall league. And that being said, though, the thing about it is, is that Perk did pitch in the fall league, and if Matt Perk is healthy. If Matt Perk goes back to being the Matt Perk that he was as a college freshman. Right. And he's pretty good. That's or a high school senior when he was considered uh, you know, when he was offered four million dollars or more than that by the Texas Rangers. That's a guy I, I I'll put it this way. I like when you have him at number seven, number seven's a good spot for him. Yeah, I agree. Because number seven is the 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 Nationals will not be devastated. They will not be their their entire plan will not fall apart if Matt Perk, they basically discover that though nope that Matt Perk that we used to know he's gone right we uh, can't get him back and that might be the case with Matt Perk he his stuff was not great in the fall league you know more like ninety ninety one ninety two miles an hour uh, had a couple of outings where he just got shellacked out there had another one where he was efficient you know had a ten pitch one two three inning out there um, but like you said he's not back to two thousand ten Matt Perk and he may never get there. You know, but if he does, he may never get back to that Matt Perk. If he does, but if he does, you, you spend a third round pick on him and some money. That's a good risk. Yeah, a lot of money. Uh, a lot of money, but that, but that, that's a much better. I can understand the risk in that. Like, if you have the money to spend, you're you're basically, you, you're saying we saw it and we think we can get it again. Right, but I, I like their, uh, I like their other pitchers in their list. I like AJ Cole. I like Sammy Solis. Uh, Derek Norris is intriguing. But the, I keep saying it, the best two ten season in the minor leagues this year. Derek Norris is—he's weird. It is fascinating. It is. It's—it's—it's. It's, he puts up—he puts up Mickey Tettleton, Gene Tennis seasons That's year after year saying. after year. <laughs> nice Mickey Tettleton reference. He's a little more athletic than Mickey, but um, he puts up those those seasons where it's like, oh, he had two twenty two this year. And I had a scout. Yeah, but you know, it was with an eight hundred OPS. That's right. <laughs> and, I, and I love these. I had a scout after I did my Eastern League list. Was like, yeah, you know, you wrote about how he led the Eastern League in the. Uh, in uh, caught stealings, but I have a hunch that a lot he caught a lot of fastballs. He said, "Like it's not it's more than a hunch. It's what I was told." As he he caught a lot of fastballs when guys were on base, so his pitchers didn't always appreciate that he was throwing <laughs> those guys out. So there's something to learn, and thankfully for the Nationals, uh, they got their catcher back at the big league level with Wilson Ramos, who had his kidnapping scare in Venezuela, and we're all obviously thankful that. Uh, Wilson Ramos, who you hear heard about first at Baseball America, ranked number three in the twin system after the 2007 season. Uh, that was an aggressive ranking, if I do say so <laughs> myself. Uh, I do wish that in hindsight he'd been number one. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so I've always liked Wilson Ramos, and we've always had a little soft spot for him, and we're very glad that he's 
uh, free. Now, but I was the, but say, I, organization I, the as a whole. Organization as a whole, I think we agree. There's a story in this issue that we just, you know, the NL East issue about this. There's a plan now. It's not just a plot. There's a plan. There is a plan. It's a fully formed plan. And uh, I don't know if the Jason Worth contract will stand in the way of their plan. It's it may. It's going to be a negative. Uh, we probably could do a whole other podcast on this, JJ. But real quick, my challenge trade uh, fantasy of the fall, if you're the Washington Nationals, would you trade Jason Worth? Would you offer Jason Worth for Carl Crawford stand, uh, straight up? Would you try to make that deal? I think that's a challenge trade that actually fits. I think Jason Worth fits better for the Boston Red Sox, and I think Carl Crawford fits better for the Washington. I, Nationals. I would rather have Crawford those two, so I would say yes. I would rather I would, I would make the, I would make that offer because I would rather have Crawford. And if I were Boston, I would rather have Worth because a Crawford was clearly shell shocked in Boston, and b I think Boston's lineup needs a right-handed power bat, and Jason Worth has proven he can be a nice complimentary piece, but he doesn't want to be the focal point. And I think. Call Crawford. You're not. No one else in Washington will be the focal point going forward after Steven Strasburg. He is the focal point. Actually, no, and then there'll other. be Bryce Harper. Say, and he'll be have, the there'll be fo- two sons. That's going to be a binary system. And everything system. else will revolve around them. Because it's going to yeah. be like that crazy uh, that, that illustration in the uh, NFL preview issue oh. in Sports Illustrated. Remember that ridiculous yeah. illustration with that, the two. I, I was actually going with the Carl the 2010. Uh, you know where? Oh, the uh, the movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, leave uh, leave uh, Europa to us. Yes. Isn't that what it says at the end? Yeah, I forget which like one that. it was. Yeah. I'm not a big enough fan of that uh, of the 2001 and 2010. But yes, there was a binary system. I forgot all about but, that. And now, I guess the other question with that is, is so how long, how far away do you think Bryce Harper is? I think he'll be in Washington like by June next year, if not a little bit sooner than that. And I think the big question is where do they play him? And I think early career, if they think his knees could take the pounding, I think he should be in center field. Because they don't have a big league center fielder, Jason Worth, contrary to Scott Boris's belief, cannot play center field. Uh, you might see Harper in right field and Worth playing center, and that will be ugly. Um, but I guess if uh, I guess if Rick Ankiel can play center field, uh, Jason eh, Worth certainly can. Rick Ankiel's not that bad. Out I'm there. sure that Jason Worth would beat him in a foot race. I'm I'll sure say, he would Rick cover Ankiel the gaps. Can actually, can actually play some center. And, and Rick Ankiel is another guy who actually one of the few guys out there can say, "Hey, my arm can you know compare to uh, certainly too. that's true." Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not sure where uh, he played some left field in Double A, and he was outstanding at it. Seven uh, outfield assists in like 36 games in the Eastern League. Um, I'm all in on Bryce Harper, even after seeing him in the Rising Stars game, and he didn't look great. His batting practice made my ears ring. It's just ridiculous how again. And how we also the ball we have to we have to that. remember. What, he'll 19? he'll play the entire 2012 season at 19. So I think he'll be in the big leagues. Uh, I think he'll be in the big leagues at 19, and I think he'll be fine in the big leagues. And I think he'll star in 2013. So I would make that deal. And if I were, I think uh, that's my favorite challenge trade in baseball: two overpriced giant flop outfielders who I think fit better on the other in the other city. And especially oh. when you have a compliant, a press that really cares much more about everything else going on in Washington other than the baseball team, and where the Redskins are still king. Uh, you know, the only the only time the media seems to pay attention to, in Washington to the Nationals is Strasburg and it's going to change. I was going to say it's going to it's going to change a little bit now because they're for one, they are going to be better. I think so. I, like I mean, the I, and look, look, let's be let's be fair. Been There's been a whole lot of time. There hasn't been a reason to pay attention to the Nationals. You mean uh, you weren't paying attention when Rob Dibble was their color analyst? No, but <laughs> now they're they're not only exciting because the Strasburg starts exciting, but they have the basis of rotation. I love the they, fact that Strasburg's salary is slated to be their fourth highest next year. Um, which and is, you know what? It's well deserved. <laughs> yeah, well, it's worth Zimmerman and then <laughs> Adam LaRoche. I kind of forgot about that guy. <laughs> Wow, I forgot they had that guy. Eight million dollars no, for next year. That's, it's a young team. There is the basis there of uh, of a lot of potential. You know, I and like, that one I other like, thing I was going to say. One other thing with Rendon is is that, and we also not that he probably can't handle, it, but we need to see he's going to be healthy, and we need to see that he can handle second base. It would certainly help because Ryan Zimmerman's pretty good at third. He's base. He's not playing third base for the Nationals, barring an injury. Yeah, no, you're right, and uh, the time to move Ryan Zimmerman to shortstop has long since passed. Uh, they missed their window of opportunity there, which is actually not that bad because no, he's pretty awesome at third base. Right? But they didn't they didn't, listen, they didn't miss out on anything. Uh, JJ and John Manuel will be back with you next time 
with a National League Central podcast. But like we said Isn't, in the interim, we're going to have a draft podcast. Well, actually, I don't know. Now I think about it. I don't know if the Connor Nathan one, I, I, they may podcast. But since we're doing another draft podcast this week, we well, may we're certainly going to do one, one. We're definitely doing one draft, po- draft podcast. At least soon. one, if not another. And then we'll have a Central coming up. Before long, we'll, and then we'll, we'll have we'll, a Rule Five. I'm sure at some we'll point we'll have Winter Meetings podcast. Yes, we will have a Rule Five. We won't do. We may. I don't know if we'll do a Rule Five preview. Uh, we might do a Rule Five preview. Eh, we podcast. probably will. Let's it be is, honest. Uh, it depends on how the how the rest of the uh, of the handbook is going. So much more to come uh, as the off season progresses uh, here at Baseball America with the podcast for JJ Cooper. I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time on the Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody.